When running a business, your employees can create all kinds of interesting situations, like getting complaints because someone on the team always smells horrible. You better talk to Bambi. With Bambi, get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just $99 per month. They're available by phone, email, and real-time chat, so onboarding and terminations run smoothly. Team members reach peak performance, and your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. And with Bambi's HR Autopilot, you'll automate important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. Bambi's U.S.-based personnel are dedicated to your business, giving you access to the HR expertise and personal touch you need. HR managers can easily cost $80,000 per year, but Bambi starts at $99 per month. Schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. Visit Bambi.com slash C-Suite right now. Spelled B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash C-Suite. Bambi.com slash C-Suite. Megan Gibson. The well-being of one person in a family affects the whole family system. This is a supportive community to share research, resources, stories, tips, and life hacks to keep the family brain healthy. Thanks for listening to The Family Brain. I'm Megan Gibson, and today I'll be talking with Jody Hume. Jody works with leaders and executives, businesses, and helps them facilitate difficult conversations. And what I really was excited to talk to Jody about is this overlap between models that are used in business and in leadership and um, how that can overlap into how we parent and how we sort of structure our family life. So I hope you enjoy listening to Jody. I learned so much from her and I hope you will too. Hi, Jody. Thank you so much for joining me on The Family Brain today. I was wondering if you could first just kind of give a little background about yourself, what you do and what your training is in and how you spend sure. your time. <laughs> yeah, um, that's. I'll, I'll try to make this short. I think like a lot of people, I found my way to what I do now through a kind of strange set of paths. In fact, in fact, I just said to somebody the other day, um, there's not a single thing that I get to do now that I even knew was a thing mm-hmm. when I was in high school. So I didn't exactly set my sights on this path, but in many, many, many ways, um, you know, I think the, the work you're most meant to do in the world is are the things that you just can't not do. So it's a lot of things that I was just naturally kind of prone to. So the super short version is I was a, um, I was a psych major in college and, uh, and I went and got a job planning to go back to grad school in like a year or so and ended up working at that architecture firm for close to 17 years, um, which was not expected. But um, I had the opportunity there to be a part of the leadership team because I was the marketing person. Um, I was a leadership team conversations every single week from the very, very beginning. Um, I was 22 years old and I got to listen in on these, these leadership team conversations every single week. And what I didn't know at the time was that I was facilitating those conversations. Um, that was something that I didn't even know exist at the time was, was to facilitate and coach and, and make, you know, get conversations down into the real root problem. But interestingly, I ultimately became their COO there. And I just oversaw, they were, they were thrilled to have somebody um, who was just happy to take everything off their plate so that they could go be architects. And um, so I just kept, and I'm, and I like doing things and, 
you know, I'm good at making things better. So I would just wear new hats and new hats and new hats. But interestingly, um, it, it's all not unrelated. I, the, I would troubleshoot IT issues sometimes. And that process of isolating variables to decide, you know, if something can't connect to the network, you know, you have to isolate the variables, you swap out the cable. And if that, if it works, then you're like, okay, well, it's not the cable. And then you do something else. You're like, oh, okay, it's not that thing. Mm-hmm. That to me, that process feels exactly like the same kind of process I use with a group or just with an individual and something more like coaching to get to the bottom of a thing because we all we all come to these. Um, so, so at the end of the day, what I do now is I help people in groups make decisions and figure things out. And I, I wouldn't call it a consultant just because they usually know what they need to do. It's just that there's, as you can probably tell in your own world, there's just so much stuff in your own head, um, so much clutter and all these different variables that you see all at once. You kind of need, it's like watching someone else parallel park a car. You need somebody on the outside who can help you say like, oh, okay, like I think that's a fact and maybe that's a fear and that's a worry about something in the future. And that's like disconnected. That actually has nothing to do with this and just help help make entrepreneurship and life and parenting a little easier. (laughs) Well, what's interesting is as you're saying this, I'm curious if you have a similar experience to the one I have in which I feel like I can see a lot of things pretty clearly for other people, but when it comes to myself and my own family, it's very challenging. Do you find that to be? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I mean, that thing like I often, I mean, this is wildly flattering and I would love, it's not this way. When I say this, I'm not even being self-deprecating because people say like, oh, you're so wise or you're, you know, you're so able. I'm like, let's be very clear here. Yes, I can be very insightful when I'm looking at other people's things, but there is a spell kind of chaotic mess when it's me doing the talking about the, the things in my own head. But that's the whole point is, it, it really is like watching someone else parallel park their car. Like sometimes you need that side person who isn't um, as bogged down in all the, yeah, but, and yeah, but, and well, this happened. And because it's hard to discern in your own brain what really matters most and, it's interesting. It's, it's, it can also be hard. Uh, sometimes when people are telling me their thing, they'll bounce all over the place and they'll say, Oh, sorry, I'm bouncing. But the funny thing is that is really useful because if they bounce over to another thing, it means for them, there's a connection there. Mm-hmm. And so if you listen to that, you can actually start to understand the problem underneath the problem, which is usually the real problem. <laughs> right. So I mean, you're, 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 you know how it is in therapy, like people sort of have present issues and often, there's actually something more, not always under it in like a, a even necessarily a deep psychological list, just um, there are compl- layers of complexity to things and helping people see through that to simplify it and know just like one little action to take is often yeah. really helpful. No, I just like to point that out because I think sometimes people listening to experts and people who, you know, it, it, certain things come easily. I think it's just reassuring to everyone that we're all mere mortals that this is things we can see in certain circumstances but not necessarily our own and it's just kind of I don't know just makes everybody realize we're all sort of in this together we're all working on it yeah I think anybody who uh I actually take great joy in um in sharing my vulnerabilities and hysterical oopses and like wow that seemed like a good idea just Mm. because I think anyone who who doesn't uh who even pretends like they don't have those is, is just, you know, I think that's an insecurity thing probably because everyone screws up. Trust me. <laughs> right. 
So can you tell us a little bit about who is in your family? You know, we talk about the family brain. And so who's in your family? What age kids do you have? Yep. So it's uh, my husband and I, and then my son, who is 17, uh, Turner, and my daughter, Kaya, who is 12, soon to be 13 at the end of November. Okay. So we're doing it this series on teenagers. So you have sort of an in vivo situation going. Um, but one I of the things do, do. that was super interesting to me that when I was talking about doing this series, you had mentioned that you see a lot of similarities to um, the work you do with leaders and leadership and family systems. Can you talk a little bit about that and just sort of the connections yeah. you see there? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I um, I end up, I use a lot of metaphor for reasons that I won't bore everyone with here from a neuroscience standpoint, but, but metaphors, the simplest version is metaphors really do help people understand things at a level that just talking about something with regular language, you can actually misunderstand each other very easily, but metaphor is more evocative and, and you can feel the difference and a lot of it will simplify a thing. So a lot of times in leadership, things that feel complicated, I will often use metaphors of families or also just dating relationships, you know, like if this was a, a new relationship versus like getting married or with kids. And, and it's funny because I I'm a little bit hesitant sometimes, or I will always just cover it in leadership situations. Cause, cause when I say, um, when I'm talking about management and leadership and I say, well, you know, you have to treat them like children. I, I don't, my, my gut is to say, and I don't mean that in a patronizing way, but that's actually kind of the whole point in general. If you think treating somebody like a child is patronizing, then I would invite you to look at how you treat the children in mm. your life. Um, because in and of itself, that whole, dynamic of it being kind of like a hierarchy um I, I think it's really a, a misguided kind of way to come at it so so in leadership especially in leadership situations I, I feel like there's this weird dynamic where people expect you to just um well I told them and then they're supposed to just totally get it and understand and do it forever and never mess up and you wouldn't expect that with your kids like with your kids um you know I think about who, yes, I have the day-to-day -day where I will like, you know, very not coolly lose it because somebody hasn't taken out the trash or something. I mean, you have those moments, but I think about like, who's the person that I want them to be and what, am, what skill am I building right now? Um, and versus what, like, what lesson am I trying to teach versus what skill am I trying to build in the long term? And like, this just came up, uh, yesterday, my son has, uh, um, has a language teacher in high school that that allows them to do unlimited revisions of any homework until they get the grade that they want. And I loved the speech that he gave at the beginning of the school year this year because he said, he said, look, some people think that that's crazy that I should have to, you know, they should have to be learning the lesson of do it, do your best the first time. He said, but that lesson they'll get all over the place. I want them to learn that they can, that they can do better. He's like, that's, I want them to see how well, what they're capable of. And I want them to see the value of putting a little extra work into something. So that's what I've decided that I'm teaching them in this moment. And so he's ignoring the other priorities in service of this one priority in this instant. Right. And that, that skill set of deciding like, cause you can't teach all the lessons all the time in every situation and saying like, okay, what's important about this moment? What's important about this moment? Um, and, and taking those, taking those lessons back and forth, I hate is, is really one of the ways I think parenting can be a valuable tool. 
Yeah, I love that message. It's funny because as you're talking, I'm thinking about if my son was given unlimited revisions and then he chose not to do it, I think that would make me insane. <laughs> you know, that's what's interesting about these different opportunities well, because it's like, oh, so you chose not to do better. Okay, mm, let me just sit with that. Well, so that's an interest, that other interesting corollary between uh, uh, leadership and parenting. So one of the struggles that I see people having a lot is this really, and I'm going to talk about this like it's a super simple and easy thing. And, and it is simple. It is not easy. So, so I want to make that super clear, but it is worth it, I think. Um, the more that, I'll talk about it in terms of leadership first, because the investment, the, the personal emotional investment is not as, as inherent. In, in leadership situations, there can be this like overdrive to make sure the person gets it right. Or obviously you have like, you know, strategic initiatives or like, you know, um, pleasing a client or doing well on a project. And so if you look over somebody's shoulder and make sure they do every tiny thing just right, the more that that is required to get the job done, you, you bake in needing more of that to get the job done mm. and to, to scale it versus um, in architecture, there's this really fantastic thing I learned, just one of their concepts. When you, um, when you spec a job, at least for public jobs, you, this, this isn't across the board for all things, but in the many, many of the jobs we did, um, there's, a, there's an expression called um, uh, means and methods. So can't say I want uh, the Pella window in number C467. You're not allowed to spec a particular window and you're not allowed to say to the contractor, you have to do this thing first and this thing second. You have to set, you were only allowed to set the standard uh, of what that product or what that process has to reach quality wise. And so you're allowed to set that very stringently and then hold the line to that, but you're not allowed to tell them how they get there. Mm. And I see this in business all the time where, you know, somebody, I'm going to be silly about this just to make the point where, you know, somebody insists that, actually, I'll tell them myself this way. I, I hired a woman to help me do my scheduling. And I had this whole system that I had put into place that wasn't, you know, I, I couldn't keep up with my own stuff. I was getting confused about everybody. Um, so I had her come in and I, that's why I made this system. Well, I thought she was using the system and we were coordinating back and forth. And then this one day she said something about like, hold on, let me put this on my list. And I said, wait a minute, do you not, do you not actually use this like shared online system thing? And she goes, well, I fill it out so that you can see what you need, but that's not how I make sure that everybody's, you know, taken care of and tracked. And I was mm -hmm. like, well, hold on. So you don't need this thing? And she was like, no. And I said, well, I, I don't need to see it. I mean, if you're getting the people scheduled and I was like, let's not do this for a while. You do it your way. I don't care how you do it. I just want to make sure it gets done. And that kind of awareness of setting, like, you know, I want to make sure everybody gets scheduled. Nobody gets left behind. All the details get logged. Uh, we don't forget about anybody. I don't care if she does it with finger paint. It doesn't matter to me as long as the, the, the you know, the criteria is met. And there can be a real hesitancy for some reason, I think, with management, because, you know, you may have a system that worked for you. So, you know, you want to say to the person, it has to go this way and you have to do this and you have to get there. And I, I threw myself into a big experiment when my son started high school. Um, they, both my kids went to a very small elementary school for kids who have learning, learning issues. Um, they're not dyslexic, but it's just easier to say they're dyslexic because it's a 12-page report. Mm -hmm. So going into high school, I knew that he was going to it was going to be a really big, it was a bigger school, 
a lot more homework, a lot and subjects, a lot more reading, not as like cared for little nurturing environment as the right. school. But I wasn't sure how much I should be like on top of him and pushing him and, and whatnot. And so I, but I knew, because <laughs> I know my own shortcomings, that if him doing well in high school was going to require him saying like, did you do it? Did you do it? Did you do it? We, we were all going to be in trouble. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I, I said to him, it's first big test coming up and he was like playing video games and doing some things over the weekend. And it's like Monday and he's like spending his evening doing whatever. And I kept saying to him, I was like, look, if you need help or support, I'm happy to support you. I was like, but you know, the rule I've said is, you know, if you don't get at least a B plus, then I'm going to weigh in on how you spend your time. He's like, I get it. So it's like the night before. And I wanted to be like, oh my God, let's sit down and go over your stuff. Cause he's yes. just like playing video games and he's never been the best at testing. You know, that's not his strong suit. I kind of wanted to jump save him because in, in, in my mind, I'm thinking it's our second week of high school. This is your chance to make a good impression. You know, you don't want your teachers thinking you're black or, you know, all that fears of how are we going to show, show up to these folks? And, um, but it felt really important to me to just see how it went. And um, he got an A. And to this day, I've just set standards. And, and let me be very clear. This doesn't work with every child. Like if right. it hadn't worked with him, I would have to come up with a different system. Um, but starting with, you know, what I've seen work in business and what I see work with some, some kids sometimes of setting the standard. And then if it's not met, then backing it up and, and re-supporting it, but that giving people the chance to come into something their own way. Cause the problem is if like, I was trying to make Karen do my scheduling my way, that was just extra effort and work for her. And it didn't support her in like, in doing what I needed her to do. So, and then the fact of the matter is there are some times where you need people to do things exactly the way you need them to do. I mean, you, you can't, I can't have the kids do laundry and win the red things with my white socks. You know I mean? Like that's, that they don't get to do that their own way. Right. <laughs> but now I'm totally going to steal that um, set expectation. Cause that's one of the things I've been struggling with. And I think as kids get older, that's where we start to, the, the role of parenting starts to shift. And it's sometimes hard, not just for the kids to take on that new terrain, but also as a parent, how, how, how am I going to switch what I'm doing? Because the whole landscape has changed, you know, like, like you said, when you switch a school, for example, and it's just a totally different culture. Um, and I like that idea. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that tonight, set an expectation and just kind of let it, cause I am so in the weeds right now with the details and it, and I never have been, but it's because the landscape changed and I'm yeah. not sure what to do in it. And I think he's not. And so I'm trying to come up with the answers, which isn't really yeah, and, helpful. And it, and it has to be, I mean, it's a really, it's such a tricky thing because it requires being willing to let your kids fail at something. Mm-hmm. But I, I was blessed with, I was blessed with the experience of having two clients over the past, like six or eight years, uh, who are older than I am, who both have adult children that, um, that, you know, just aren't not thriving the way you, you would want to. Yeah. And, um, and for lots of reasons, you know, all those things don't matter for this part of the conversation in both situations, both of those people had looked at me at one point or another and said, you know, if I had known, you know, I said, what would you do differently? I said, I don't curiosity, like what, because they, I could tell they had a lot of regrets. And, um, the one woman said to me, I would have 
she goes, you know, the stakes always felt so high. And then, and they, they always felt high in the moment. And then the next set of stakes always felt a little bit higher. Like, oh, we got to get them into a good high school. We got to do well in high school because they have to get into a good college or you have to do this. Like it always felt like the stakes mattered. But what I didn't realize was that the stakes would just keep getting higher and higher and higher. And their, you know, fifth grade math test was really pretty inconsequential in the mm-hmm. bigger scheme of life or, you know, some of these other things or not getting on some team or she said, you know, I was bolstering everything up and I really denied them that the natural consequences of failing at something and um, or getting in trouble at school. And um, if, if my kid doesn't do their, like, I don't check on my kids' homework because I'm a big believer that, you know, if they're not doing the homework, they should get in trouble for that. <laughs> you know, like I shouldn't yell at them for that unless I want to be the person in charge of making sure they do their homework. And e- even if I was, I mean, here's the interesting thing. I may not be so good at drawing that boundary. If I was good at keeping up with people like that, I'm just really, I would be bad at that. So like, That's if that was my strong suit in the world, <laughs> If I was a great, like, did you do your thing? Then who knows? Maybe I'd be that mom who's like, did you do your thing? Did you do your thing? I can do that. But then like three days from now, I will forget that it's my job to run you. (laughs) And it will all come crumbling down. So I have, uh, we've joked that we have survival of the fittest parenting, but but, um, I've, I've let my kids, I try to find the safest natural consequences that I can, I can put in front of, I mean, a great example is my son turns, could have gotten his, his permit a year ago. He only just got it um, because he didn't, I put it in his court. Mm-hmm. I said, Hey, you know, whenever you want to go take driver's ed, you know, look one up online and, and let me know. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he didn't do that for like a year. And then as we were doing, he's like, you know, I could have got my driver's license a year ago. I was like, yep. I gave you the information uh-huh. a year ago. He's like, well, now all my friends have it. I'm like, yep. And you didn't make it, but that's okay. It's it's not bad. Like there's no, his life is not going to come off the axle because he doesn't have his license a year before friends. So it's a great thing to sort of be like, well, and frankly, I'm not crazy for him to be out driving. You right. know, he's a little bit, he's a young boy. I don't mind. So it, it's a, it was a great one for me to kind of leave in his lap. Right. Now, you know, am I going to let him not take the SATs and not be able to go to college? No. Like, I mean, I, there are safety nets for things, but I try and be really diligent about what I, what I take responsibility for, because if you take responsibility for a thing, then you have to be willing to take responsibility for that thing. And and that's Mm -hmm. where I see it show up in leadership a lot. If so, what I look for in leadership and what I look when I talk to parents is, um, is frankly resentment <laughs> mm-hmm. if because like resentment is always whether we like it or not resentment is always a sign that there's some boundary that we're letting be crossed that's mm-hmm. that's not working for us either okay. either it's a boundary that shouldn't be crossed or it's one that's just being crossed too much like to an exhausting level and it just needs to be pulled back so when i hear resentment it says to me that that thing's not working and that needs to be tweaked in some way. And it's often an imbalance of where the responsibility to the consequence is. And Hmm. usually there's really opportunity. The beautiful thing about it is there's an opportunity for it to be easier on the person who right now is overextending and a growth opportunity for the other, you know, the other person. I love that. I just wrote that down and put a star next to it. This is going to be very (laughs) helpful in my life. And I'm guessing I'm not the only one because it's such a simple recipe really, but it's something we forget. Yeah. You know, 
know, when I hear myself say, do you have any idea what it took for me to arrange this or do that? You know, when I hear myself say that to my kids, I'm like, oh, okay. That's the red flag. Yeah. My mom used to have this metaphor she would use when we were kids. Um, You know how with like dresser drawers or filing cabinets, if you have, um, like if you pull more than one drawer out, they can kind of topple. They Mm. don't stay up. She would say, you got to push some of your drawers back in <laughs> like when too many of your drawers pulled out sort of like reaching towards other people's things it's it, there's an imbalance there and you kind of got to pull your drawers back in take care of your needs um I mean fundamentally I believe happy moms are better moms and um so making sure that you're you know you're getting what you need to be a happy human definitely improves my capability <laughs> for sure mom and what I've noticed for myself too, is I have to be aware of the things coming into my brain that make me think I should mm-hmm. be doing something else. Cause when I talk to you and we're having this conversation, I'm like a hundred percent. Yes. But then it's very easy to get in conversations where, well, we did this and we did that and did it, you know, and, and get sort of caught up in that train. Like, is that what I'm supposed to be doing? And it, it's nice to be sort of brought back to center again and sort of being aware of what messages you're getting from outside. Oh, hundred percent. So when, you know, when, um, my son, we, we looked at private schools here in Baltimore for his, for his high school, because he does, he did need some like extra support that would have been challenging for us to get through the public system. And so, um, we were going around and boy, talk about some like outside voices. There was this part of me who wanted to, you know, be, it would be like, Oh, let's, let's spin that thing we did at your grandma's church as like a service. You know, there's part mm-hmm. of me who wanted to like, present ourselves in this, you know, who we needed to be to look good to these, to these schools. Mm-hmm. And then there just came this day, I sat him down and I said, look, kid, <laughs> we're going to put our best foot forward. You know, we're, we're absolutely going to creatively think about how we make sure to mention the things that you really do care about and not just, you know, say like, I like to play video games or whatever. Right. Um, but truthful, I said, but at the end of the day, we have to remember this. If they don't like us, if we're not if they don't think we're, I'm making air quotes, good enough for them, let's find that out now. Because mm-hmm. the worst thing we could do for you is to like bend and twist game shape ourselves into some position to get into a school that you have to then try and maintain that shape for four years. And I don't mm-hmm. think that will serve you or anybody else. And it was, it was hard um, to not sort of, you know, I, I knew lots of parents who were taking their kids to get, you know, every kind of tutoring and, and study for this test and that test. And, and we did, we did a little bit of like boning up on stuff, but I just I, sort of at the end of the day, I was like, you know what, this is a great life lesson. You know, you have to find your path that mm-hmm. fits for you. And if somebody's not your path, better to know quickly. Um, I mean, it's kind of like, I'll oh, jump to a new metaphor. It's kind of like going on a first date and pretending like you like a bunch of things you don't like just so that the person will want to go on a second date for you. Well, that's pretty awful. Now they're interested in a person or not. <laughs> right. So that, that really doesn't work. So, yeah. What advice would you give for people? I know one of the things you had mentioned is making sure you're not sort of bringing your own baggage into your parenting. Do you have any um, techniques or, or tools that you know of that you use in leadership or that you use in your own family to help sort of notice when some of your own baggage is coming into the game? I definitely just pay attention to my own, like the length of my own fuse. Like mm-hmm. when I'm snapping at people, in particular, it will usually show up with my my daughter. My son's super easygoing and just very like, 
like I'm sort of making this like like he's just very easy um and my daughter is you know much 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 more astute at pushing my buttons and <laughs> getting a rise out of me and so I just really pay attention to my reactions and if they're the kinds of reactions um that I really want to be having and that's actually really tricky because I will be the first to admit um and I hope this doesn't make me a completely terrible person, but I think this is a great thing to admit. It is like a lot of times the reactions I don't want to be having feel really good in the moment. Mm. You know, they, they, they're very in the moment satisfying to just be sort of like, blah, 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 you know, just, I don't know, sort of losing like a release valve kind of thing. Yeah, it does. It's a release valve, but, but taking responsibility for that release valve. Um, I mean, one thing that I, I have um, done quite differently than, than maybe the way I, I grew up. And I had a great childhood, but this was one thing I decided I wanted to do a little differently is that um, I would, I will, like, I have my moments. I have my very, very, very not proud mommy moments. And I 100% of the time go back and engage in a conversation about that. And I'll say like, hey, that was not my proud, you know, that, was, that was sort of not great me showing up. And I was just having a really crappy day, but that is not your responsibility. Like you're not, responsible for my emotions. And I'm sorry that I, I brought that to you. And, and, and then we talk about it. And, um, my daughter's actually re actually both my kids, I, th I think personally, I mean, I don't know, this is the funny thing about parenting though, right? Mm. Like, I don't know if the things that I'm doing are working because I have stumbled on some crazy wise wisdom of parenting, or if they just happen to work with my kids you don't get, you know, you don't get that. You can't sort of, um, you don't get two experiments to run at the same time. So I have like, maybe this just works with my kids and wouldn't work with some other kid. It feels to me like, um, that because of that, they're very quick to say, well, that, you know, this was my part in that. Like, here's what I contribute to that. I've, that's been an important part for me with my kids is, is sort of limiting the times where like, it seems like somebody's wrong and somebody's right, that there's like my part of it and here's my part of it. And how do we want that to feel different and what can we do differently? And, um, so that's been one thing. I'll tell you what has been really was really useful for me. Um, even more concrete is there's a book called the um, The Price of Privilege, and it's a fantastic book. It has very little to do with privilege as we normally think of the word. Um, you know, she says right off the bat, like unless you have you know truly struggled on a daily, weekly basis to put food on the table, I'm putting you in the category of privileged. And it's a therapist who. Um, who was working with parents who were doing, by all accounts, all the right things. Like if their kids had a problem, they got them a tutor. You know, they went to the soccer games. They showed up for the things. They were like super supportive. Mm -hmm. And these kids were having a lot of maladaptive behaviors. And super, super, super short version is, she said, you know, if you don't, your kids have these internal struggles. And if there's always like an external salve, like if you fall down and here's a cookie, mm -hmm. or, you know, if they have to build the internal musculature to deal with unpleasant things, then they will always look externally, whether that's for substance abuse or sex or just other people's validation. And so the, the book kind of breaks it down into, as you were saving it, saying, as your role changes, like the things you intervene for with a two-year-old are very different than what or how you intervene for a 17-year-old. And I think that's kind of easy if you look at the bookends, but it's not like that goes from on to off. It's really complicated blur of like, when do I step in? When do I not step in? And my son was having some really just, just 
complicated like social or just complexities at middle school. I mean, all I have to say is middle school. It was middle school. And um, trying, and I'm not someone who typically like weighs in, but I was like, where is the moment where you, because you know, middle school, almost the worst thing you can do is like, you know, call in and talk to the teacher because then they're like, oh, got to be nice to so-and-so or his mom's going to call mm-hmm. in. But at the same time, I'm like, but where are the boundaries of where you, because there's, there's just not a clear path. So I think she really gives some really great wisdom about how you kind of bucket those things to think about what you, what you intervene on and what you don't. So in service of, and this is the part that was useful to me, less, less about her having like the perfect checklist, but just having this litmus test of what do I want them, what do I want them to be learning right now? And um, like my daughter, got a, a teacher that she just really doesn't like and she's really disappointed because it's her favorite subject and there's this tiny part of me because I know how much she loves this subject um, and because she actually wants the other teacher because that teacher pushes them more the one she wants and so it'd be very easy for me to say like hey it would, it would behoove my daughter to get into this other class mm-hmm. so she can be pushed and I said to her last night I said kiddo you know like the fact of the matter is you're going to have professors and bosses and friends who aren't perfect. And like, you gotta, you gotta learn one skill you need in life is, you know, like if, what if it's a boss who's not giving you the professional woman you need? Well, if you've decided you're going to keep working there for right now, maybe you take an extra class. Maybe you do something on your own. Like this is also a skill you need in the world. And if I don't make you do it now, it goes back to my client. I'm always like, you know, the next version of this that comes up for my kid, the stakes are going to be way higher than this version of it. Right. So I try to expose them to as many growth opportunities as early as I can right. in hopes that these stakes are less high than the ones they'll be facing in a few years. Right. It is well, not easy though. <laughs> it's not easy. Well, and that's one of the things that I've noticed actually helps calm me down when things kind of go awry or there's an issue that I need to talk to someone about, I usually say to them, like the other adult in the equation, I'll say, well, I really want my child to learn it now, like better to learn it now than at 20 or at 40 or at 50. And not only do I believe that to be true, but also it helps settle me down in my own brain, you know, so I'm not like, oh my God, this thing, how dare this, how dare he do that? Or she do that. It just kind of helps me. Okay. It, It helps me focus in. Okay. Thank you, universe. We're going to learn a lesson now, and it's been provided, and it's been provided yeah. earlier than I would want it to be. Yeah, and I think I think the great I don't even know like the, the great horror horror is not the right word of parenting is it's, it's like this giant experiment that you don't get the feedback until like twenty years later. You know, yeah. it's like my my son is is a junior, so he's going to be looking at colleges. He's he's just he's not a kid to have. 20 extracurricular activities. That's just not, he's this really laid back, super funny, charming, kind, like, I mean, I love everything about the human that he is. Mm -hmm. And it is only when, that's another thing I watch out for, for my own baggage. It is very rare. And, and I don't know, I've never actually had this thought as a sentence. So I I reserve the right to take it back. But when you think (laughs) about this a second, um, it is very rare that anything that feels like anxiety is 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 actually fact based. So, like, I can think about my son applying to colleges, 
And I do get a little anxious about the fact like, oh my gosh, should I have made him take violin lessons and like, you know, 22 things and do a service, more service projects and have more interests and like have a better resume. The fact of the matter, like that yields very anxious and like, like to me, if I actually back up, I love the human being that my son is. Like, There's nothing I would change about him. And so it's not my job to, this is my overview on parenting. It is not my job to cut and snip and bend him into a shape that to shove him into some part of the world. It's my job to help guide him towards the path where who and how he is will just work mm-hmm. naturally. Yes. And that's not easy. Um, uh, you know, he may be a kid who, who doesn't go to college, you know, or, or he may be a kid who needs to go to community college for a year or two to kind of get his sea legs and figure out what he wants to do. I'm, I'm not going to love how that feels when everyone's talking about like, where's your kid going? Oh, Stanford. How about you? Like, you know, that's gonna, like, it's not like I'm not swayed by those wishes and wants to have the like great story to tell. But again, I just pan back to what am I saying to him mm-hmm. about his value in the world that right. like the way you are, isn't, isn't good enough. I, I, I will like add one last thing um, because this, this concept guides uh, I actually heard it in church one time. We were visiting friends of ours' church, and um, and so the minister said it in in terms of God and religion. But I have um, stolen it, and I now apply it like across the board to everything: my clients, my kids, uh, my husband, my friends, and myself. Frankly, um, because I think it's the power, the most, most, most powerful key to unlocking someone's most powerful potential, and. The quote said, um, God loves you just the way you are, and he loves you too much to let you stay that way. Mm. And I've seen this with my kids, like when somebody loves and appreciates who they are, they're because my kids are quirky, you know, like they have their they're sort of like a, you know, they're they're not your off-the-shelf kid. And when somebody loves them the way they are and holds really high standards for them, like we were talking earlier about like setting really clear outcomes of like, I love you exactly the way you are. And here's the outcome you have to meet. And then let them figure out how it works best for them to get there. Um, There's something magic about that. Because if you just try and improve somebody without loving them the way they are, I, I think that like, that just feels kind of gross, frankly, Mm -hmm. like you do really, and and it's harder because you're not building on this like solid foundation. And if you just love somebody the way they are without kind of holding a higher standard for them, I think you're cheating them out of something like, you know, cause you can see, again, it's kind of like watching someone else go apart the car. You can see maybe what they can't see in their potential. And so those two together, I think is just a really powerful magic sauce. Yeah. I love that idea. I've been thinking more about, um, cause I, I am somebody admittedly that can get caught up in the where are they going to college and what did you get? And, you know, and it just in my own brain. And um, I've been trying to focus more on what kind of um, like partner I would want them to be for someone else in the future. Like, is this somebody that can bend and is this somebody who is attentive and can, can understand other people's feelings and just, I don't know, to me, that feels like a healthier goal than where are they going to go to college? You know what I mean? Um, So anyway, that's been helping with my own brain. Oh, I love that. I love that. I mean, I often think about like the, the humans that they're going to be, but, but yeah, I love the specific context of, are they, are they somebody that I want to be in partnership with? You know, that can they have a, can they have an argument 
And and if I were going to make that list, like you were just saying, you know, can they have an argument and and not just resort to personal jabs the minute mm-hmm. that they're you know that they're not? Can they can they be disagreeing with somebody and say like, hey, I see your point, you know, like, like consider other points and the right. like those are the things that um, you know, can they can they do for other people without losing their own boundaries about their needs? Like mm-hmm. those are the kinds of things that um, are much much harder to teach. And um, and listen, I'm I'm certainly not poo-pooing the importance of of you know the things that can swoop in like college and whatnot um you know who knows in 10 years when my son's 35 i i may be giving somebody else advice right a different one this is what we know right now this is what we think right now i guess we should say yeah based on what i know right now um he i I think they're doing okay right okay we won't if you ever run for political office we won't bring this out and be like you said this and you know like try to Exactly. Zero yourself. chance. Yeah, zero I think- chance of if you're a political. Uh- <laughs> we all reserve the right to change our minds. Um, well, is there anything that you were hoping I would ask you about that I haven't asked you about? No, this is really fun because I I, um, I think a lot about about this this correlation between the two about parent. And it's funny because I I mostly used it in terms of like parenting metaphors for leadership or dating metaphors for leadership. Um, and I haven't often tried to think of it back around the other way, but um, I, I do think that I, it's funny what you were saying earlier made me think of it again, but I often tell people um, the only parenting advice I ever give is don't take anyone else's parenting advice mm. <laughs> because uh, I really do think that... Uh, just sort of the last story that I'll kind of tell, but it ties right back into some of the leadership things is um, when I first had my son, I had this friend who um, she's just your like quintessential super mom. I mean, she always had everything in her bag that you could possibly need. You know, there was a snack and a, you know, and a healthy snack at that. There was a right. healthy snack, diapers, change clothes, several interesting toys, probably with at least some amount of educational aspect to them. Um, you know, just whatever. I can't even think of the things because I don't think that way. Right. Um, and the first time I took my son to the doctor, I very first time I didn't bring another diaper. So you know, that was it. They threw it away. I was like, wait, I need that back. And she's like, we can give you a diaper. Um, so you know, she was just, and she, and every single weekend, this friend of ours was doing like enrichment activities with her kid. You know, it was, it was apple picking this week and this and that, whatever. And I said to my mom something about, you know, I'm just, I, I just, you know, I want to do some of those things, but like, that's exhausting to me. Like, I, I like kind of like, cozy on the couch and watch a movie with a fire kind of things more than I do going and doing things every single weekend. And my mom said, um, she said, Jody, do you want kids who want to be, ex- we have the expectation of going somewhere every Saturday and or Sunday and doing things. I was like, Oh my God, no. And she said, then, then don't worry about it. And this is what mm. she said to me, which I think was so powerful. She said, I think people, if they allow themselves will naturally raise kids in a way that just naturally fits in their family. It feels good. And you can't use other people's, there's nothing wrong with the way my friend was doing it. That works great for her family. To this day, they do that stuff. And that's fantastic. Um, it's not our family's, it's, it's not our family's dance steps. And um, so just kind of allowing your family's dance steps to, to guide the dance, I think is, is really hard. But, um, but here's the thing. I think it's also an incredibly good example to be setting for your kids going forward is having the boundaries and the courage to make choices based on what you want instead of what other people want. And mm-hmm. that's a skill set that I think can only be learned by watching somebody else do it. So I try to keep my eyes on that as well. 
I love that. That is very well put. I, I, I love these conversations. Sometimes I'm, I think this podcast is a lot of work and what, you know, and then I have nice conversations <laughs> like this and I'm like, I need to have a conversation like this every day. It just kind of helps me refocus and yeah. remind me of what I I'm doing. Think, I, mean, I feel like parenting is like the highest form of personal development in the world. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I remember a couple of years ago, my daughter's like best friend called her mom called this. She's still little and said like, Hey, does Kaya want to come over for a sleepover? And I was like, I'm sure she does. Hold on one second. And I got Kaya and she was like, I don't, I don't want to go. I'm just not in the mood. And at the time I was like, Oh, well now I can't say that we're not available. Cause I just said, I'm sure she does. Hold on. Let me check. Um, in fact, I'd already said, yeah, I'm sure she does. Like I'll arrange it, whatever. And it was such an interesting thing because part of me wanted to come up with some way to say, oh, but like not say Kaya just doesn't want to, or, you know, I wanted to find some way out of the conversation, mm-hmm. but my daughter's sitting right there. And I had to be aware of the fact that like I chose to dealt with, deal with that was going to teach her something about how we deal with sticky situations, how we deal with setting boundaries, like how what she's going to learn in the world about when somebody wants you to do something that you're just not in the mood to do. Do you have to lie? Like, what do I want to show her? And Mm so I literally had to like dig in that moment and now it's easier, but that was the first time I ever had to do something like that. Dig Mm -hmm. deep and just call her back and say, Hey, I know I said we were available, but you know, we're just not feeling good. And I hope, I hope other little person doesn't take that personally. Right. And her mom was like, Oh my God, I totally get that. You know, thank you so much for just telling us that means I don't have to out. There's really freeing about honesty. Yes. And that gives them permission to then do it to you. You know, they can be honest with you too. And those are the kind of relationships. That is my role for mom. That is my absolute role for moms that I can be friends with is Mm. like, and I literally say it out loud. I was like, for this to work, (laughs) I have to know that if I call and ask you to do something that you will say no, because then I'll, if it doesn't work for you, if I'm afraid that you'll say yes, when it's a huge inconvenience, then I can't call you and ask you for things. And so that has to be our agreement. So. I love this. And I've loved this conversation. You are awesome. Can you tell people where they can find you and find, learn yes, more about um, what you do? You can't. So uh, my website is jodyhume.com. So J-O-D-I-H-U-M-E. It's not very up to date, I'll tell you, because most of my work is, uh, is, is word of mouth. But where you can actually hear me far off, especially if you don't live here, is I also have a show. It's called So Here's My Story. And, um, and that's just so here's my story.com. And, uh, that weekly cast we do, it's technically business focused, but really it's just, we tell a story and then we end up talking about kids and business and all different kinds of stuff. We start with a story and then much like this, we just riff and better and talk about those sort of lessons and guidance out of it. So I just started listening to it, knowing we oh, were really? going to talk and I really enjoy it. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to start listening. So it's fun. Yeah. We uh, end up touching on a bunch of different things. I feel like that's the, the stuff I like to listen to sort of the same way you were talking about people kind of jumping around to me. That's, that's how the brain works. You know, that there are these sort of connection points that end up coming together in the big picture. If you sort of hang with it. Um, Absolutely. The last question I want to ask you is just about your own self-care. What do you do to keep your own self-care going so that you can attend to others and attend to your family well and take care of yourself? So the biggest one probably isn't something you would typically maybe put in the self-care, but um, just like self-happiness. So I sing in a band and um, and my husband plays with league and those are not the only things I put in this category, but we both make a concerted effort to make sure that the other one is getting to do things that, you know, the other one isn't putting off the like things I'd like to do with my life so that it feels like a full life things. So we work 
really hard to make those things not just possible easy for the other one to do um so that's a really big one that's like my therapy is singing in the band um that feels really really good um and then I also do definitely work out a fair amount um that that also is a kind of linchpin thing for me I'm not always fantastic at it but I know that when I'm feeling off kilter like I can't start eating better like if I'm really off kilter health wise I can't start with the eating I have to start with doing something physical and then everything else kind of falls into place from there um but in general I think it's the best self-care I do is just pay attention to when I'm getting short-tempered and impatient and snarky and then just ask myself what do I need right now and sometimes that's a bath sometimes that's to just go do something with someone else um sometimes it's to sit with my kids and do something with them but a lot I, I just I pay attention to what it feels like I need and then I get what I need until I can come back into the world and be yes. a pleasant. <laughs> well, I love that. And the metaphor you were talking about, about when you pull out the different cords, and I think that can relate to self-care in a lot of ways. Like if you do one thing differently and then you still aren't feeling so great, okay, try a different cord, you know? Um, yeah. 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 It's my job to keep me, the biggest responsibility you have as a parent is to keep yourself doesn't mean you don't get tired or run down or overextended. I mean, that's just, that's just part of the game. But if that is a story that feels like it's the narrative, um, it's not very sustainable and it's not very, um, it's, it's not a great model. I mean, there's sort of this weird narrative of like parent puts everything they want aside so they can like lift their child as high as they can. And then that child puts everything they want aside so they can lift their child up aside. Like who exactly benefits from lifting if everyone, like I don't want my daughter to put aside every hope and dream she has. If she has kids, I want her to have a great life and have kids. And so I feel like it's my responsibility to help figure out how to do that and model it for her mm-hmm. so that she's supposedly somehow just magically supposed to figure that out. So Great. Well, I have loved talking to you. I feel like I could talk all day, but we'll wrap it up here. Um, Thank you so much. And we will definitely, uh, I'll check out your podcast and keep listening, but thank you for sharing all that you do. Thank you, Megan. Thanks for listening to the Family Brain Podcast. I would love it if you enjoyed this. If you would want to share it with a friend, that would be great. It helps share the information with others. And you can get more information about The Family Brain on our Facebook page, The Family Brain Podcast, or our Instagram at Family Brain Podcast, or online at FamilyBrainPodcast.com. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you would, please rate it, give it a review that helps other people find us on iTunes. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.